Are we a country that keeps its promises? That's what this story is about, really, this next one. You see, a year ago now, as the Taliban moved towards what would be a complete takeover of the country not much longer afterwards, the Canadian government set up a special immigration program to bring in 18,000 people, fast-track them essentially, who had had a significant and enduring relationship, that's the quote, significant and enduring relationship in supporting the Canadian mission in Afghanistan. So those are people who worked for the embassy, those are people who worked for the military, and according to that relatively vague and bureaucratic definition, uh, that also meant people who had done work on behalf of Canadians, uh, Canada's uh, overseas ambitions, for instance, educating women uh, was one of them, uh, you know, that we supported programs, the government supported programs, taxpayers supported programs in Afghanistan uh, on gender equality and educating girls and so forth. And the people who work there were also sort of the face of the Canadian mission in that country. In fact, if anything, they were probably the most public face of our work in that country. Really, the whole idea of educating girls, women and girls, was a real big deal for Canada. And those who did that work were on the front lines of that. So here is Immigration Minister Marco Mendocino 11 months ago making this promise. And listen for a vow near the end. As the world continues to watch painfully and with growing alarm, the shroud of terrorism spread in Afghanistan, Canada is carefully, expeditiously, and effectively carrying out a special resettlement operation to evacuate Afghan nationals who, for years, provided critical support to the Canadian mission in that country. Canada will do right by those who did right by us. And today, I'm here to say that we will do more. Canada will do right by those who did right by us. That's a promise. Well, now it turns out all 18,000 of those spots are filled. Many of the people who worked or qualify, we believe, aren't here yet. Um, but Ottawa is closing that program. Again, the problem is many who qualify under that somewhat vague, significant, enduring relationship are still in Afghanistan. They don't know if they've been considered. They don't know if their applications are being processed. They don't know if they're part of that 18,000. Advocates for refugees say the decision to wind down the program abandons Afghans desperate to come to this country, those who the minister said we would do right by. Well, joining me now is Lauren Oates. She's the executive director of Canadian Women for Women in Afghanistan, a charity and not-for-profit organization promoting gender equality uh, that has supported and implemented hundreds of education programs in Afghanistan since its creation in 1998. Thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So I know that you sent, uh, were part of uh, one of the organizations that sent a letter to the federal government asking that this not be stopped. Um, I gather we're finding out that, in fact, they have gone ahead and halted this program. Is that your, your understanding as well? Yes, um, they filled all the spots that were available for this program, which was 18,000 in total. So out of that 40,000 commitment uh, to bring 40,000 Afghans to Canada, that was made um, by this government, 18,000 of those were reserved for this program, the special immigration measures. And they've stated that that's now full and there's been no announcement about renewing it, extending it, adding more spots. So that's what we're advocating for because that fell far short of actually meeting what was needed. And there's still at least as many people who have been left behind, who do meet the criteria, who are eligible for the program, who have actually inquired as far back as July, even before the fall of Kabul, when the program was first announced and are still waiting for some kind of response from the government. And this program uh, for the 18,000 applied specifically, my, to my understanding, to those who had supported the government or, or the mission in some significant way, so either through governmental, NGO, or military. 
That's right. The language that the government uses is that they had a significant and enduring relationship with Canada. Um, and in part, that's been a bit tricky because that's, you know, sufficiently um, inclusive and exclusive at the same time. It's a, it's a bit general and it's been subject to interpretation. And that's been interpreted differently, I think, by different agents at uh, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, IRCC. Um, so it wasn't always clear exactly what that included, but it was pretty clear from the beginning that it did include the military interpreters, Afghans who worked for the Canadian forces, and it included staff of the Canadian embassy in Afghanistan. And ultimately, it was more or less confirmed that it also included people who have worked on Canadian government funded programming, um, like programming that was meant for women and girls that was part of Canada's feminist international foreign policy, and its focus on gender equality in Afghanistan. So that's the case for my colleagues. Um, we were implementing programming for Global Affairs Canada um, going way back. And so representing those those programs that were funded by Canada in, in Afghanistan. So um, there's there's people in all of those categories who are still waiting to hear back. So Ottawa is saying that the 18,000 positions they'd opened up for this particular program are now filled. Uh, I gather they will continue processing those. But how many of your colleagues are left who would have qualified, I, by your understanding, are left there? And how many of them applied? Um, so we got uh, five people who were notified that they could apply at the very beginning um, or shortly after the program launched. So last summer, and four of those five are now in Canada and one is waiting um, for her application to be approved in Pakistan, but 17 have heard nothing. Um, and those 17 are no different from the five who did here. In fact, many of the 17 actually have more seniority. They had more um, publicly facing positions. They're more exposed um, they were more senior in terms of you know, being in management positions. Um, so we're not clear, you know, why, why those five and nobody else, but um, yeah, 17 who are still waiting to hear one way or the other. It sounds like in some ways it turned into a bit of a lottery. That's exactly it. And, you know, of course we hear stories all the time of people who did make it here through the program. And I can't make heads or tails of, how some people got chosen and some didn't. I mean, some it's really unclear what their relationship to Canada was, if, if any, um, and others it is clear. So I, you know, it was a new program. And so it's to be expected that there is going to be a little bit of messiness at the beginning, a, a bit of chaos. Um, but the problem is that, you know, the, the, the stakes are so high here. I mean, they're literally life and death. Like I'm worried every single day for the lives of my colleagues. Um, you know, if I get a text or a call in the middle of the night, my heart immediately jumps. And, um, you know, we've had a couple of close calls. And so every day that they're stuck there is, you know, is, is, is another day to worry about. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really critical that, um, that, that there's fairness in, in, the, in the process, that there's equity, because those who got in, that meant that, you know, there's not spots available for others. So we have to be really certain that the people who did get in meet the criteria um, and if there were, you know, mistakes and messiness at the beginning, then you've got to keep the program going so that people who are that this program was meant for get the opportunity to apply. Because one, I mean, you would know this from working in the in the in, in the field that you work in. Once you get the tough part is to get it going. Once you've got it going and you iron out the problems, extending it is actually pretty straightforward. That's why I'm I, I, I'm not really sure why they don't make an announcement about adding more spaces that would really seem to solve the problem for us as well as for the government and certainly for 
all the Afghans waiting to hear something. And we know that it will take a long time, um, you know, that that there's already a backlog. And even of those 40,000, only 16 and a half thousand have actually arrived in Canada over the past year since the program was launched. Um, and about a third of those are special immigration measures people. So around 7,000. Um, so, you know, about a third of, um, of, of those who have been approved have actually made it. So this is going to stretch into years for sure. But I think that that is surmountable. Um, people who are, for instance, waiting in a third country like, like Pakistan, they can manage if they know they have a solution waiting for them, even if it's going to take a while. The problem is now that they just haven't heard anything. So I just can't understand why the door is closing on this program when there's still so many allies that we haven't been able to get here yet. Um, and you have similar programs for Ukraine that continue to run. What is the difference? I mean, this is a crisis that is still ongoing. It hasn't stopped. It's only gotten worse. So keep the program going while the need is still there. Have you heard from Ottawa at all? Um, we, as part of our campaign, we sent a letter to the prime minister's office, the coalition of organizations that's been behind this campaign. And we sent that in June and uh, about a month later in July, we got an acknowledgement of receipt, but we haven't heard more than that so far. Now, the government says, at least uh, immigration says, there are other avenues, and there are other avenues open. What, what is the, the downside of that? What, what about this program uh, was more effective? I guess it was fast-tracked, right? Yeah, the main thing about this program is that it was for specifically for people who worked on behalf of Canada, who were representing Canada, I mean, concretely in terms of actually implementing projects that were funded by Canadian taxpayers that represented Canadian foreign policy. Um, and, and those also reflected Canadian values. So they really stepped up to do this work on behalf of Canada and are now being left behind. So that's why it is different. And to be told, you know, oh, just try for private sponsorship or try under the humanitarian pathway. That's just not right, because I think we actually have a greater responsibility for those who are at risk because of the work they did for Canada. That's the difference. I mean, arguably, the entire population of Afghanistan is at risk. And certainly every woman and every girl is at risk of forced marriage, of being denied an education, of being denied the right to work. Everyone's at risk of poverty. So, you know, it's justifiable that everyone would want to leave that country and we're not going to be able to help everyone. So we have to make very difficult choices uh, and methodical choices about who we help. And in my view, um, and certainly I, I have a bias here, but I think it all still makes a lot of sense that we prioritize those who we worked with, who were our allies, who helped us first. We make sure they're safe and then we help everyone else that we can. Speaking with Lauren Oates, she's the executive director of Canadian Women for Women in Afghanistan. We're talking about a decision uh, by the Canadian government to halt, or at least uh, to stop a program uh, to fast track certain Afghans to be allowed to come to this country. Those who had had a close working relationship with the Canadian government, it's bureaucratically vague, uh, but it did include those who'd worked with the military, those who'd worked at the embassy in Kabul, uh, as well as those who worked on various Canadian funded projects, such as Girls in Education, uh, where Lauren Oates' groups come in and groups like hers come in. Uh, when we come back a bit more just about what can be done now, uh, is there any hope that this will be changed? And also a reminder that Canada spent a lot of political capital talking about educating women and girls in Afghanistan. So our debt to those who stuck their neck out to do that work in that country, as risky as it is, is probably a debt that needs to be paid. We'll be back with that. 
My guest this half hour is Lauren Oates. She's the executive director of Canadian Women for Women in Afghanistan. Um, Lauren, one of the things when I was there, obviously, I spent some time in Afghanistan working. I mean, the Canadian government went, and the military for that matter, went way out of their way to promote the very women who work for your organization. In other words, to make them very visible, to make their work very visible in terms of who it was benefiting and whose values it was supporting. What kind of danger do they face now that there's been this regime change? I mean, clearly, they would be people that the the Taliban would target, I would imagine. Yeah, word I hear a lot is hunted down, that people have the feeling of being hunted, um, you know, hiding, going from place to place, uh, trying to go to neighboring countries to, to get away. Uh, so it, it is very dangerous. And, um, you know, the Taliban, despite facing this enormous crisis in the country, an economic crisis where people are literally starting to starve to death, they have still found ample time to implement their their various rules and edicts and um, try to clamp down on the population and you know restrict uh, cultural life and um, and sort of, uh, uh, you know things from their moral perspective and so um, implementing rules against women like that they can't work that girls can't attend school past grade six and going after people they see as um, either threats that they don't like the the ideologies, the beliefs that they espouse, that they were too aligned with the West, um, or who they simply um, want to seek vengeance against because people were collaborating with the coalition forces that were actually fighting um, the Taliban. Um, so uh, they, th- there's plenty of documentation that they've actually gone after people. They have hunted people down and they've made people disappear. Um, they've imprisoned them. They've executed them. That's been documented by Human Rights Watch and, and others. Uh, they've imprisoned women activists um, who have protested or who said things on social media or, or television that were critical of the regime. So it's it's very, very dangerous. Um, they also conduct searches of offices and houses. They will occupy the offices of NGOs. Um, they will pull over cars on, on the road and they'll interfere in, um, in aid work. So um, it's, it's, it's a very, very dangerous situation. And there's already been one terrible loss where a young girl was killed in Kandahar by the Taliban. And she was someone who I believe was even approved to come to Canada, but hadn't been given the visa yet to come or her paperwork was somewhere in, in process. Um, and there's going to be more stories like that if uh, we don't, we don't uh, keep this, this policy and the, the program open so people can get to safety. Do you get any sense that there is a, a chance here that there will be a U-turn from, from Ottawa on this? We hope every day. I mean, it's the right thing to do. And uh, I, I don't think there's a high political cost. Uh, Canadians have been very welcoming and, and open and concerned about what's happening in Afghanistan. Um, as I said, people are not coming quickly, so we're not biting off more than we can chew. Um, you know, out of that 40,000, it's going to take at least a couple of years to get people here, if not longer. So they're coming in, in, in smaller numbers than it might look like on the surface. So we have the capacity to absorb people, to integrate them. Um, and Canada simply has a lot of connections with Afghanistan after all these years of investing in the country. So I think the public is on side with this. I think the government can um, can keep this program open. It's not a matter of creating a new program or setting up new policy. It's just continuing an existing program and adding more spots to it. So I don't see any good reasons to not continue it, but I also don't know why there hasn't been an announcement to date. So we're, you know, hoping against the odds. Um, but as for myself, we won't we won't be giving up here. 
it's our responsibility to keep our staff safe. So we'll, um, we'll keep at this until every one of those 17 people um, who's still waiting for a response from the government gets to Canada. You must feel the shoulder. You must be shouldering the burden of this as well. I mean, not the burden is probably the wrong word, but the, you know, the, the collective fear of this because these are, you know, these are programs that people believe deeply in in the country that work very hard. We're very proud of, and now with the change in regime, it's become a very dangerous place to be for them. Yeah, and you know what? They still believe in this stuff, mm-hmm. and people are still doing what they can despite these very dangerous circumstances. And. Um, it's really remarkable that when in some ways Canada has turned their back on them, that they they continue doing this work and they continue espousing um, this, the same the same values. And I hope that we can see that we have these shared values. And in a situation like this, where you have an extremist, dangerous group in power in a country running a government, the best strategy is to support the dissidents, to support the people who have you know, a better ideology, who believe in democracy, who believe in women's rights, who believe in people having access to a secular education. We've got to be behind them. And after 20 years of Canada supporting and investing in Afghanistan, it's it's a very sudden about face um, to just say, you know, well, um, that's it. We'll get we'll get these people out and then we're going to move on. Um, I think that we have some kind of legacy there to protect, despite what happened last August. Um, there's people counting on us and uh, we should do everything we can to um, to uh, fulfill our promises to them. Laura Notes, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.